I want to jump right in and ask all of us a question. You're going to, you may not want to raise your hand in it. We'll just agree just kind of in quiet in your mind, okay? Have you ever invited people over to your home, had people over, maybe it was friends or it was neighbors or it was relatives, and they're good people, they're good people, but they don't get the hint of when it's time to leave Anybody ever been there? You're like, no, I've never been there. You're probably overstaying your own welcome then. Like, you're probably the person. No, I mean, it's happened. I mean, no, nobody in this church, okay? Nobody's ever overstayed their welcome. But, okay, other people, have you ever been in a place where you've had people over and then, like, they just don't get the hint. It gets later and later, and you've blown out the candles. You've put up the food. The dishwasher is humming. You, you, have, you are replacing light bulbs. You, 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 you have already changed into your slippers and that sweatshirt that you will never wear out in public. But you're just trying to get them to hint. You even pull out the vacuum. But they just sit and continue to talk. You, they got to get the hint. You know, uh, there are stages of helping people see that. Uh, and basically, it's, it's called the nine steps to saying goodbye. And, and we do this a lot in the, in the Midwest, especially in Kansas. But I know it happens here in the, in, in the, in the God state of, of Texas. But, but uh, here's the nine stages. If you're struggling this Christmas and you struggle during Thanksgiving on how to say, okay, it's time for you to leave, I'm going to help you today. You may not get anything out of this sermon except this. And God bless you if you don't. But here, here's the deal. It starts with the well. You just got to say, well, and then you can fill in the blank with whatever. Well, you probably got an early day at work tomorrow, don't you? (laughs) Well, I am not feeling very well. Well, I got to go to sleep. Okay, whatever. It starts with the well, and then they say, well, and then you say, well, (laughs) all right. And then it's the hugs. You give the hugs, better I get on out. Okay, well, hey, so glad to have you. It's the, the pats, you know, on the back. Into walk to the door. Stage three is walk to the door. Now, at the door, you obviously have to have the doorway chat. So you have the doorway chat, and uh, you're, you're visiting, you know, with the doorway chat. And, and then, okay, we better get. They're finally realizing it. Okay, we better get. We better get back to the house. And so then you got hugs part two. That's stage six. Hugs part two. Pats on the back. And then it's hand on the doorknob. That's stage seven. We're getting closer. The, 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 the goal is there. You can see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And then you walk outside and you have the car door slow open convo. It's where they open the door slow and they have their elbow on the door and you talk for a little bit longer about something, about the car or whatever. Finally, it ends with the porch wave, okay? You're back on the porch, and you're like, man, I thought they would never leave. Those are the stages of your goodbye. So write them down and get them ready for this Christmas season, everybody. Why start with that? I told you there was two meaningful promises in the words, my cup runs over. Let me give you the very first promise that may be lost in translation, but it's so blatantly obvious in this passage. Here's the first thing. In fact, if you're taking notes on your app or on the blanks at the back of the worship guide, I want you to write these down. I think these are going to help you 
in your relationship. The first one, first meaningful promise that, that is packed in these four simple words is this. Write it down. You never wear out your welcome with him. He never changes into his slippers. He never tries to get you out the door by saying, well... He never looks at you and nods his head, but he's thinking about the other seven things that he's got going on. He doesn't try to get you to the door. He wants to hear every story you have. The Bible says you can keep him up through the night. You know why? Because God doesn't need to go to bed. He doesn't need to rest. The only reason he rests after six days of creation is to show you a pattern, a strategy for how to make it through this life. You've got to have rest, but you will never wear out your welcome with him. See, the reason you know you never wear out your welcome is because one of the biggest things you can do to stop having company is you stop serving the food. The way you show is not just blowing out the candles. You you just put stuff up. You start. You stop serving the food. I was on a half Ironman a few years ago, and I was so slow running this half Ironman in Austin, Texas, that I was about mile nine out of 13.1. It's a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and then you run 13.1 miles, and then you die. And that's just a half Ironman. That's just a half. I'm at mile nine. I got 4.1 more miles to go. I'm going so slow. I get to the place. This water stop, they're unpacking the white foldable tables. And they're putting up the bananas and the oranges and the water. And I'm running like. <laughs> and they're like, oh, we thought, we thought everybody was in. They're just putting up the. Like, give me that water, bless God. See. David understands what it's like as he writes this psalm to know what a kingdom looks like, to know what a royal banquet looks like. And here's how they would start telling all of the guests at the royal banquet that it was time to pack up and leave the palace is when they stopped serving the wine. When they stopped filling your cup, it's a signal it's time for you to go home. And I want you to know, God is never trying to get you to go anywhere else but be in the middle of his presence. My cup runs over and you can drink and he's ready to serve again. And you can drink. And he's like, have some more. And you're like, don't mind if I do. And he's like, raise a glass. Dilly dilly. You never wear out your welcome with the king of kings. That ought to give you such peace today. But I also want to say that another meaningful promise packed into these four simple words. Number two, the God of the cosmos has plans to bless your life. The God of the cosmos has plans to bless your life. Now, I don't know what your response was at Nacogdoches or Duncan and Dieball. But I will tell you that the response here at Lufkin was almost crickets. There was a little bit of, mm, mm. I just said the God who created everything. 
The God who spins the world into existence. The God that breathed into your dirt suit and made you a human. The God that gives every good gift our heavenly father has plans, has it on his agenda. It's his to-do list to bless your life. Thank you. Yes. Now, I wonder if the reason there's such a lethargic response to that powerful declaration is that in our locations, some of you struggle with that because you believe either you don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, or or maybe you just don't even believe it. God helps those who help themselves. Well, there is a way that you align yourself for the blessings of God. Uh, lift your cup so that it can be poured into and so that it runs over. But, but, but you don't earn the pouring into your cup. You, you might, maybe you're here and you might think, God's intention is to bless others more than he blesses me because I look at their cup and I look at what's going on over there and I look at what I don't have. And, and, he, and maybe you think that God... We have a lethargic response to God. The God of the cosmos has plans to bless your life because we we feel bad about what we did and we don't think that we deserve it very much. And I want you to know that he doesn't look at what you did or what you didn't do. He looks through you. He He looks to his son. When you invite Jesus to cover your life, to be the center of your life, to wash your sins away, God doesn't just see you for you. He sees you through His one and only son. And his son is perfect. And his son is good. And his son's blood paid for you. And you yourself were made in the image of God. And he desires to pour his blessings to not just halfway, not just partway, not just to the brim, but over flowing live rivers of living water pouring out overflowing in your life but we've wrongly accepted a notion not of a god who wants to bless who's quick to help who's quick to rescue who's quick to come to our aid who's quick to do it again we tend to have this notion that god is quick to be upset That he's an angry God. That he's stomping around heaven like fee-fi-fo-fum. Why did they eat that apple? I told them not to eat that apple. I told them not to eat that fruit. There they did, running again, falling like a sheep. They got lost. They're in that thicket. They're in that briar. They've fallen over and they can't get up. I am so sick of chasing after and rescuing that sheep. We have a perverted skewed, twisted understanding that God is like this God that wants to curse things versus God is this God that wants to bless things. For God so loved the world. He didn't leave us cursed. For God so loved the world. He didn't leave us in a sin nature. For God so loved the world, he gave And he didn't just give a little gift. He poured out the most precious gift for you and me. When for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Yes, that's good. That is good. So, may ruffle some feathers the wrong way with this next statement. Um, But 
with your, with your letters to Santa, write this letter to Santa Claus too if you have an issue with this. <laughs> you know one of the most common prayers in America. One of the most said prayers in America that it's prayed and people don't even know they're praying it. A three-word three prayer. God damn it. God damn it. One of the most common prayers you don't even think you're praying. And all of a sudden, your frustration, your anger, your, 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 your vitriol it is poured out on the hammer that hit your thumb. It is the car that cut them off. It is the anger that spews up about that relationship. It is that result of that boss asking you to do this. And we say, God, curse it. God, curse it. People don't even know they're praying. It's because we have this skewed, twisted understanding that God is up in heaven wanting to send out lightning bolts against people. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's a good shepherd. He's not a, ma a madman. He's not a crazed madman who's just waiting to zap you when you do wrong. He is a God that wants to bless it, not God curse it. In fact, Eugene Peterson says it like this. God's main business is blessing, not cursing. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your business. He wants to bless your children. God is a God who loves to bless people. Now, what that means is different from season to season because blessings isn't all about always what you get or what you have or the bank account number. Paul says it like this, that he knows how to walk in, in, in contentment. He knows how to trust God when he has a little bit and when he has a lot. He understands the blessings of God when he's got reserves and when he's scraping by, he's learned the secret of contentment. And that's all written in Philippians 4. And he ends that statement by saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is all about no matter what season you are, I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength. It's more about you understanding contentment if you have a little or if you have a lot, depending on the season you are in. I'm not talking about your net worth when we talk about your cup runs over. I'm talking about the worth of your soul, understanding your soul's worth to him. See, people think if I, if I can just get married and still you can be the loneliest you've ever been. Because you don't understand how the blessings of God want to be poured out. You, you, you can be rich and be so stinking poor. Or if you can understand how God uses blessings in our life, how he wants to have your cup run over, you can understand that I can be single and still satisfied. I, I, I cannot have very much in the bank, but oh, I can be rich in spirit. I can know God is good all the time, all the time God is good. My cup is still running over, even though I don't have all that's pouring out like this person has pouring out. My assignment isn't to measure against this person. My assignment is to simply trust in him, sit at the table in the presence of my enemy, and know that God has good plans for those that follow after the good shepherd. Are you with me this morning? So if that's, if blessing is his main business and we're made in the image of God, guess what? 
Guess what? You'll never guess. You'll never guess. Yes, you will. Blessings should be our main business. We should be speaking blessings over people, not cursings. We should be talking strong, positive. I'm not talking about a prosperity movement that says you name it and you claim it. But like if you say a Mercedes, bless God, is going to be in the garage this Christmas. I mean, some of you, let's be honest, even if Jesus was your co-signer, you could not get a car right now. It's not about that. It's simply having the attitude that God is all I need. In fact, he's not just all I need to the very tip. He has so much for me. My cup runs over. It runs over. And so there's plenty for me and there's plenty for others too. Now, I can't do this at every location because even though we're virtual teaching in different environments, I can't be there in the flesh. So at the broadcast location, I want to ask this. You can raise your hands too there, but anybody have a birthday this week? Anybody have a birthday this week? Right here. Anybody? Raise it up. 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 Okay. Judy, come here real fast. No, no. Come on. Come on. Run up here, girl. Judy's my friend. Judy... Her cup runs over with me because she gives me good food at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> right over here, right over here. I can't get off the stage. I used to do that, but now it's a broadcast location. I'd be off. It'd be all weird. Nagadosh would be watching an empty screen. So my good friend, Judy. Come here, Judy. Give it up one more time. All locations for Judy. All right. I know, I know you, you got a 29... 29th coming up, uh, that's right? right? That's right. Actually, it was this last week. It was this last week. You lied to me. You said this week. This is part of that week. No, the Sunday is the first part of the next uh, week. That's okay. I'll get. We'll, we'll let it go. All right. <laughs> Judy, for no reason other than I just chose you, I want to give you a birthday blessing. Very simple. Okay. So I'm going to pull out this cash. $10, $20, $30. There you go. Is that good? You're welcome. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. We love you. Judy, 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 Judy. Wait, 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 Judy. Don't go down those steps. Come here. Come back. Come back. Come back. Come back, girl. Now, Judy, come over here so we won't have you half off of the, okay, here's the deal. I gave you 30. I got two tens right here in my hand, and I gave you 30, and I said, are we good? And you said, yes, thank you very much. And you were satisfied with the, the 30, but I had two more right here. Wouldn't you want these two? I think it goes to somebody else. No, it goes to you right there. There you go. Okay, now you can go. Now you can go. You can go. Give it up one more time for Judy. Okay. Judy said, when I said, are you good? Judy said, yes, thank you very much. What a kind-hearted thing to say. But can I tell you something that God doesn't want to hear you say? God doesn't want to hear you say, I'm good. In fact, write it down like this. It's, it's almost like it's like the server at Olive Garden. When you get your salad and you get your soup and you got your Zupa Toscana and they walk in with this wonderful invention of God and it's called the Parmesan deal thing. Ani pastas if you're in Nacogdoches. And they give you your soup, they give you your salad, and they say, would you like some shredded Parmesan? And I'm like, ha! Ah! 
I feel the spirit. I say, don't mind if I do. Please lay it on me. And they say, what do they say? They say, say, when. And they just go and go. And I have them go so long, they got sweat beads. Just like, they're like, oh, my arm. My arm. Like, go, go. Finally, I say, when. my wife has to say, when. When. Because it's like Mount Everest in the middle of my Toscana. Don't ever. Place yourself in a position where you're saying to God, when? When you're saying to God, I'm good. When you're saying to God, enough. Now, I don't think you would intentionally ever do that. Where you would intentionally say, when, to God. But I know that every single one of us have said, stop, I'm good, I'm good. So I want to finish today by talking to you about how you and I unintentionally are messing with your flow. You're messing with your flow. And what that means, all right, is you are unintentionally hindering the God of the cosmos all he wants to do is pour in your cup to where it runs over. But you are saying, uh-uh, I'm good. No, when, when, when. I want to give you three. I've, I've, na- I've numbered them three, two, one. Because I'm going to give you the, the third, but it's not the number one. It's the third, but it's not, it's not the main deal. Here they are, three things where we unintentionally mess with the flow of God's blessings in our lives. Number three. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. We learn it young, don't we? We learn it young. It, besides ma and pa, one of the first words kids learn is mine. We learn it mine. Uh-uh. No, you need to share. Sharing is caring. Uh-uh. I want the Tonka truck. We learn it mine, mine, mine. And here's what happens. When we have an attitude, unintentionally, but an attitude of stinginess or an attitude of hoarding or an attitude of keeping it to ourselves because we're afraid we might not have enough if we ever start being generous, all of a sudden it's an attitude of I have to have it, I lean on it, what would happen if it wasn't there? I can't live without it. This is my security. This is my shelter, this is my, and we don't like to call it this, this is my God. And one of the very first things that God wants to communicate to humanity is don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images of gods. Put me first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. But what happens is when, when we have, and we've, never, and we've sometimes had without, we've not had it, we can tend to protect it or hoard it or hold on to it and becomes our God. So the only way that you can really understand generosity, the only way you can allow the, the cup run over more and more and keep that flow going is this. Well, write it down. The only way to keep prosperity from turning into idolatry is through generosity. 
Because when our prosperity, oh, I wish I was prosperous, trust me, you, you, you want to talk about the top 1% or the top 10%, you by being born in America are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the globe. One of the greatest things you could do is go on a mission trip and not build a thing. You, all, it would be for you. It's not about the crusade you could go do overseas. It'd be about you exposing your mind to a little bit larger worldview of just how blessed you really are. The only way to keep prosperity from turning into idolatry is through generosity. David, who wrote Psalm 23, wrote many of the Psalms, not all of them, but wrote many of them. He also wrote Psalm 37. And David, older in age, writes this Psalm. Psalm 37, he says, I was young and now I am old. So he's lived some life. And he goes on to say, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Their children what? One more time. Their children what? Okay, so the righteous forsaken and their children, you would think their children not running from God. Their children being righteous too. Why would be being righteous keep his children from begging bread? Well, what's very interesting is the word in the original manuscript of the word of God, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't written in English. I know that's going to shock some of you. The Bible's like not written in English, you know. That's why we all just do the King James Version, bless God. Well, like, it was before King James too, everybody. That word right there in the Greek is Zedakah. Remember Lion King? Mufasa. This is Zedakah. Zedakah is doubly translated. In some places, it's translated righteous. In other places, all throughout Scripture, it's translated with this word, generous. So let's read that Scripture again. I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the generous forsaken or their children, what? Begging bread. Oh, well, doesn't that make a little bit more sense when we understand the depth of the word zedakah? We understand the depth of the word righteous. That even generous people, when you're generous, you don't see your children begging bread. That scripture goes on to say, better the little that the righteous, the zedakah have, than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the zedakah, the righteous, the generous. Here's what else it says. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Hunger, do you hear the word picture here? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, zedakah, it's interchangeable. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for generosity, for they will be filled. Whoa. Paul says, remember this, a stingy planter will only reap a small crop. If you got a hundred seed and you like, I better hang on to 80 of those seeds, and you throw 20 seed out there, guess what you're probably going to get? 20% or less on that crop. You're going to give 100% or less of 20% of your seed. But those who sow generously will also reap generously. Now, I know that in a church this size, in locations, I know. People, I, start, I decided to come to church today, and here we are talking about money. Bless God, it's the holiday season, and we're talking about money. 
I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about generosity. I'm talking about your cup running over. In fact, there's four main areas where we're generous. It is in our time, in our talent. Yes, in our treasure and also in our testimony. Look, I know the guys at Duncan and the guys at Dieball. I'm talking about being generous. And you're like, yeah, I got no income. Okay, I get it. I get it. I'm not talking about your income right now. I'm talking about your heart of generosity of how you wake up and the words you use, the way you spend your time, the way you uplift one another. A real man is able to be kind. Jesus was a real man. And he showed kindness and goodness. So what I'm saying to you is it's not just in the way you handle your finances. It's in how you handle everything that you have in your life. Because everything you have is a gift from God. He owns it all. You're, you, you will start seeing your marriage different when you think it's not my marriage. My marriage is in the dumps. My marriage is all in trouble. God, God owns all that. He owns that relationship. And when you say, God, you own it. God, you're in charge. God, you're supreme. God, we surrender to you. All of you, you start having a different mindset because it's not about what you could do to even fix anything. It's about you surrendering to God, God speaking to your heart. And from the overflow of him pouring those things into your cup, which is your life. Your cup is your life. It's then then you can see what God wants to do in that marriage. Your time, your talent, your treasure, your testimony. Hey, we've got this Christmas at Timber Creek card. That's available at, at every seat at Nacogdoches and Lufkin. I'm inviting you. Let your cup run over. Here is the card. Everybody get it? Put it you, 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 it's right there in between your legs on the thing. Just grab it. You can put your name, your phone, your email. We, we are inviting you to let your cup run over this Christmas and be in a part of our serve, our certain, our dream teams across our locations. Maybe you're here, but you'd like to serve a couple of services in Nacogdoches. You don't even have to go through starting point. If you fill this out, we'll be vetted. If you're like, hey, are, are, are we good? You're not, you know, you're, you're not going to like, you know, pick up the piano and take it out. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to do that. Then you can serve, and you can see the different places to serve. Lufkin, Nacogdoches, or either. You can serve at different services. You know, all together, including the, uh, uh, the, the Duncan and Dieball Christmas services, we, ha we have 17 Christmas services this Christmas. Yeah, you clap. I'm praying. I'm praying in tongues. I'm interested in parking, red carpet, cafe aroma, events team, kid works, any team. Like, any, like just... Sign up. I'm going to invite you to put this in and use your time. Let, let your generosity show through your time. There's something powerful about serving. You know, also, we have available are these Christmas cards. You can see that in your worship guide, if you want to just take that out. It was posted in your worship. I'm not asking you to do anything today. In fact, you don't have to, unless God says it, unless God says it, I'm inviting you to take the next six days until next Sunday and consider what God might have you do. Ask God about it. Don't ask me about it. Talk between you and your spouse or just you and God. But we've put on here 12 ways to give Christmas. 12 gifts of Christmas. You know what's crazy? Christmas time, we think and we stress over the Christmas gifts we're gonna get people. And it's like, it's Jesus' birthday. <laughs> like, could I invite you to think through what might be a gift you might give Jesus for his birthday? It's a way that your cup runs over, and you can choose one of these. Look, look at this. I mean, like, 
$10 will sponsor a Get Better Lunch designed to build and empower families and leaders. Next year, we're going to do eight Get Better Lunches at the end of our services at Nacogdoches and Lufkin. And it's just about getting better. You can help sponsor one of those because somebody may not have the $10 to give towards that Get Better Lunch. But you could help that. You can see here, $750 provide baptism shirts for the next 100 people that get water baptized. Whoa, we're talking about a gift of generosity that would go beyond what you're normally giving. You can see $30 would help supply Timber Creek Church with part of the 9,360 rolls of toilet paper that we use. That's $3 a roll. You could give 10 rolls of toilet paper. Bless God. That's a whole lot of toilet paper, isn't it? A lot of, lot of stuff. Look at this. $30,000 helps launch a new prison venue. We were able to, by the generosity of a family in this church, get started with more, way more than that to get all the video equipment and all of the other things and, and the remodeling. And now we're at a place where we've got the infrastructure that we can launch a new prison venue with $30,000. And one of you said, oh, $30,000. I'm not talking about, if that's not your cup, that's not your cup. If it's not your cup, don't worry about, your, don't worry about that one. Okay? In, in fact, here, here's what the Bible says. Here, here, here's what it says. Look at this. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, So, okay, considering all the things, each of you should give serious consideration to what you want to give God, not reluctantly or under pressure. I'm not giving anybody pressure. We are a low-pressure, non-sales pitch kind of church. How many of you give you $20 stand up right in the name of Jesus? No, we don't do that. We don't do that here. All oh, the pastor's just after your money. No, I'm after, your, I'm after you being blessed. I'm after your cup running over. I'm after you not unintentionally messing with your flow by being generous to the most important things in life because that's why God will make you generous. Do you know why God wants to fill your cup? Not just so you can have enough, but he runs it over so that you will not only have enough for you, but you have more than enough so that you will be a blessing to be a blessing to others. That's what Jesus did. And here's what, here's what it says. Don't do it reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't do it out of obligation. If you think I'm twisting your arm, don't you dare write a check. But I'm telling you, some of you, if you have the heart of God, with a flick of a wrist, you could write a check and drastically affect some incredible gifts for Jesus in the church next, this Christmas. It's amazing. But you trust God for your cup. And I'll trust God for mine. And here's the promise that he says. And you can be sure that God is able to bless you with all his grace, all of it, so that in all things, at all times, you will always have all you need. Sounds like a great message series. All I need. And you'll also overflow. Your cup will run over so you can give to every good work. But you want to unintentionally mess with your flow? Keep it to yourself. Number two. Compare or complain about your neighbor's cup. Focus on your neighbor's cup, and I promise you, you inadvertently say when to the blessings of God. You unintentionally say, uh-uh, I'm good, I'm done, when. Paul says in Philippians, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Like, don't complain about stuff, especially don't complain about what someone has that you don't have. Here's another one. Paul says in Colossians, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all God has done. Notice the key word is not overflow. In fact, the key word is not thanksgiving. The key word is let. Because it's up to you to overflow. 
It's up to you to trust God that he's got more than enough and he is going to continue. And you're never going to wear out your welcome. And there's always going to be more wine that he's going to pour out into your cup. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all God has done. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't make the mistakes of comparing ourselves with others. Because when we compare ourselves, we are foolish. You're a fool. I didn't say that. God said it. I know it's crazy. Like, don't be a fool. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. Rocky three, everybody. You're welcome. Comparison is the thief of joy, said Teddy Roosevelt. Comparison creates two problems in your life. It creates pride if you're comparing for what, what you have and they don't have. It can create an incredible pride and a haughtiness. <laughs> well, man, God's really blessed me. You, you want to unintentionally mess with your flow? Be prideful. He, he will oppose the proud. In other words, you're like, fill it up, Lord. And he's like, eh, 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 eh. wait a second, Mr. Pride. Pride, is, it, it create, comparison creates a problem. Pride and comparison creates discouragement. When they have more than you have, you can be discouraged. And never has there been a greater time for you to compare because of the powers of social media. Their very best picture that took them 32 times to finally post. And you're comparing your, your reflection, your, your complexion, your house, your stuff with them. Don't compare. It'll steal your joy. Proverbs says it like this. It's healthy to be content healthy for your life. You want to be healthy? Be content with what you have. No, have a perspective that God has more than enough for me. But envy will eat you up. It's like the zombie apocalypse for your heart. It will just eat you up from the inside out when you are envious. Write it down, everybody. It's hard to be jealous about their cup when you're zealous about your cup. It's hard to be jealous about what they have when you're zealous about what he is and who he is and what he has for you. Finally, number one, and this is the most important one. This is the most important. This is key. This is critical because all the other, keep it to yourself and comparing and complaining about your neighbor's cup, focusing on your neighbor's cup. That, 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 you don't even get to those points if you mess this one up. And it's number one. When you lift a cup to God that's out of order. When you lift a cup that's out of order. Have you ever been on a long road trip and you had to go and you stop at the gas station and you don't care what it you don't care that it looks like it's the scene of a crime? You just gotta go. And you walk in and on the sign of the bathroom, out of what? Yeah, out of order. What? You, you, you go to Dairy Queen, which happened to me a while back. And you go and, and you want to order something from the, to, the drive-thru. And they say, sorry, our soft serve machine is... What? You got one job, Dairy Queen. You got one job. I don't care about your tacos. You got like, I mean, I need, I need a blizzard. You're out of order. You go to the Coke machine. And you, you go and taped on the Coke machine is a, is a piece of paper that says out of order. Now here's the deal. 
Why do we say this? Why do we, why do we say out of order? Because I don't know if that really means what we want it to mean. Like out of order would be when, out of order is when you try to put your shoes on and then you put your socks on. That's out of order. That, that, that's, that's out of order. That's, that's washing your hair before you turn the water on. That's out of order. Now, l- l- let me explain it to you. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. Out of order, is, it, it, it makes more sense if it looks like this. Now, to see this, you see this TV here? This TV, show me the big shot. Here, it, it, if I were to hit it hard enough, okay, if I were to hit it hard enough, okay, I didn't mean for that to happen. I'm kidding, I meant for that to happen. If I hit that, this, this television is out of order. But it's not, it's not out of order. Really, really what it is, I'm not going to just put a sign on here and go on with my life. Here's what I'm really saying. Okay, you ready? Here's what I'm saying. This TV is broken. The bathroom is broken. The Coke machine is broken. The TV is broken. When you lift a cup that's out of order, you're, living a bro- you're lifting a broken cup and you're living a broken life. Let me show it to you in this way. The Israelites, they had finally gotten to go back to their homeland. And there was an assignment of God to put the kingdom first. And Haggai gives them this concern. And he says, here's what you've done. He says, you've spent a lot of money but don't have much to show for it. You have food but not enough to fill, your, fill you up. You have a drink but not enough to satisfy your thirst. You have clothes but not enough to stay warm. You earn money but it disappears fast as if you had holes in your pockets. Is this relating to anybody? And so what the, what the author says, Haggai, inspired by God, he says, consider why this is happening. Why do you think you don't have enough? Why do you think the shepherd that promises that your cup runs over, that all of a sudden your cup is dry? Here's what he says. Here's why you need to consider why this is happening. It's because you're too busy building your own fine house that you haven't built my temple, the house of worship. That's why I'm withholding your blessing. God would withhold his blessing from you? I thought he's a good God. Yeah, but there's also ways that you put your hand over your cup and you say, "Mm -mm, I'm good. When? Now you putting God's house first is not not building your house. You can build your house. You can build a fine house. I've built a fine house. It's actually my wife's house. I just get to live in it. But Jane and I have made the practice of putting God first. First. In fact, God doesn't expect us to only build his house. In fact, he doesn't even ask to get all of it back. He just wants a portion. Here's what he says in, in the, the Italian Bible, the Malachi. Kidding, Malachi. It was a joke, all right? Bring your full tithe. Tithe is 10%. It's $10 out of 100. It's $1 out of 10. It is 10 cents out of a dollar. When our son gets a few dollars for an allowance... He sets aside in three buckets, the give, the save, and the live on the rest bucket. The give bucket, the save bucket, the live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. That's actually the right order. 
when you lift a cup and you lift a cup that's out of order, it's different than give, save, live on the rest. So bring, bring your tithe to the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. I don't want you to go hungry. I want you to have food in your house too. But bring first the tithe. Now test me now in this. Test me. Give it a shot. Just try me. Anybody ever tested their parent? You want to be grounded for more time? Test me. Fine, Dad. Fine. Make it a week. How about a month? Fine. How about a year? Like You can test people in the negative way. God is saying, you can test me in this. I ain't going to even get upset about it. Test me and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it runs over. Until it runs over. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, you guys are worried about so many things. I mean, and you do too. What, I mean, I want to put, I would love to put God first in my finances, but what if I don't have enough at the, end of the, at the end of the month? It's like I got more month left at the end of the money. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. We got more, more month left at the end of the money. But, but, but Jesus says it like this. Don't, don't worry and ask yourself, will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God, people that don't follow after the shepherd, people that haven't been seeing the shepherd lead them in paths of righteousness and help them to lie down in green pastures and lead them beside their still waters and prepare a table before you and even walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, yeah, people that don't know God, they try to hang on to everything because they can't trust God because they don't know God. So Christian, don't, don't act like you don't know God. Don't act like you don't know God because only people who don't know God are always worried about such things. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all of these things. But more than anything else, put God's work first and do what He wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. The other things will be yours as well. What? And you may not always get everything you want, but you will always have all you need. Sometimes you will have something you don't want, but he will still be faithful to give you what you need in the moment. Judy, come back up here real quick. Judy's my friend, and I uh, blessed her with a little... Oh, Sorry, Nacogdoches, I gotta stick these lines. Don't hold me back. I'm like a mime. Come in here, Miss Judy. So, I hope you learned your lesson. It's your birthday. I gave you $50. Um, now I'm, I'm gonna give you more. Just say when. Just say when. Do you have the other $10, the other $50 that I gave you? Or did you already spend it on Amazon? Uh, okay, yeah. All right. All right, now I'm going to need your hands, so you give me that. You don't have to take notes up here. Got it. Here's what we're going to do. So, this is your 10 that, that, that uh, no, this is your 10, whichever one it is. Okay, I'm going to give you another 50 here. Okay. There you go. Happy birthday. Do you trust me? You trust me? You sure you trust me? Okay. Will you give me one of those tins back? That's all I'm asking for. That's all, that's, all, that's all I'm asking for. I gave you 10 tins. All I'm asking for is one tin back. 
It's 10%. It's, my, it's, it's the tithe if you don't mind. Oh, guess what? Now you just put things in order. You, you, you just put things. You're not broken. You're not out of order. So guess what happens, Judy? Oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, I got another 10. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to the tithe. You can't have that back. That's mine. And that's for the storehouse. And I'm going to put it in the offering for you today, okay? But I have a, another 10 here. There you go. Can I have one of those 10s back? Okay, very good. So where, where are we now? We're at, you're at 80 and, you're at 90 and 90. You're at 180 and I'm at 20. Okay, one more. Let's see. Let's see if I got anything else. Oh, okay, here we go. I got 10 more. I love you too. <laughs> I do. Um, can I have one more 10 back? So now you have 270 and I have 30. Now probably you could do some things with 300 that you couldn't do with the 270. But can I tell you, you wouldn't even have the 270. Had I not want to give you and bless you, and all I ask for is just, 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 just live in order. Now write this down. Write it down. When order is restored, blessing is released. I'm not here to talk to you about your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony because I want something in return. When we give the offering, my salary doesn't go up or down based on what you give. I have no, I have no my number one concern, listen to me, hear me. My number one concern is that you and your family, your children and your children's children would be blessed. That your cup would run over because I know that if your business is blessed, if your finances are blessed, if you are understanding that God is the giver of everything, then the church will be blessed. I don't have to worry about the church. I don't have to worry about the finances of the church. We're good stewards. We create budgets. We say no to some things and we say yes to some things. And sometimes we stretch out there on a limb and we trust God when we don't have. Nagadoches, we built a $2 million plus building out there with zero people attending. Why? Because we stepped out there in faith and now we're inviting you whose cups are overflowing to trust God. To put him first when order is restored. So I don't, I don't want anybody under the sound of my voice. Duncan and Dybal, you may not have a dollar to give, but I don't want you walking around with an out of order sign on your heart. An out of order sign on your head. I don't want you walking around with an out of order broken sign on your wallet or on your family or on your home because you just wanted to do things your way. The order is clear. You live a healthy, good full cup that's overflowing when you put him first and leave everything else in his hands. When order is restored, you're not, <laughs> say it like this, you're not really broke. <laughs> you're not broke. You're made whole. And my cup runs over. It's why Jesus gave his blood for you. David wrote this psalm, and I'm done, and I've gone long, but what's another three minutes? Here we go. David, thousand years before Jesus shows up, he's talking about the good shepherd. 
David writes some of the messianic verses, the messianic prophetic verses that talks about the crucifixion a thousand years before the crucifixion ever takes place. When a blind man is looking for help, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because Jesus is representing the real king of kings. Oh, David was a mighty king, but Jesus is the king. And I love this connection that I hope, I hope you'll get today. Not only does David say, the good shepherd has got more than enough. But then Jesus shows up on the scene. And the world, the world doesn't have enough room. There's no room in the inn. There's not even an extra spare bedroom for the soon and coming king. The woman's on a donkey pregnant for crying out loud. You don't got a room at the courtyard Marriott? Because they, they just didn't know. They just, just didn't know. They didn't know. And some of you, you haven't been putting God first because you just didn't know. Now you know. <laughs> now you know. Don't live a broken life. Don't lift a broken glass. The very, listen, the very first miracle Jesus performed. There was a big party. It was a wedding ceremony. It had gone almost all week. And what had happened? Chances are people had worn out their welcome. You know why? Because the wine was gone. They were empty. Jesus is there with the disciples just as a guest. He's not there to, to do magic tricks. But someone who knows him deeply, in fact, probably the person that knew him best other than God the Father, is his own mom. And his mom gets word that they're out of wine and she says, talk to my son. <laughs> he knows what to do. And he's like, mom, you, you ought to read the Bible. It's incredible. It's in the book of John. It's a beautiful story. Mom, he actually says, woman, woman, what are you doing? My time hasn't come. She goes, you listen to exactly what he's, listen to what he says. So Jesus, with a bunch of guests that have probably worn out their welcome and the wine is empty, he says, go get six ceremonial washing pots. Those washing pots would have been the equivalent of about 20 gallons. Go down to the Jordan, fill them up, bring them back. Do you know how, you know how much 20, can you imagine trying to carry 20 gallons, a big old pot that's got 20 gallons of water and it says, fill them to the brim, he says. Fill them to the brim. Like there's no more room. Those guys go out to the Jordan, fill those, those six ceremonial washing pots, 20 gallons a piece, up to 120 gallons. And here they are trying to take them back. You know the slosh and the spill. And they're probably not to the brim. He knew they weren't going to be at the brim because these knucklehead servants, you know, are going to spill some on their way back. They lay down the six ceremonial washing pots and the master of ceremony comes and he dips the ladle into the water and, and supernaturally, it's not magic, it's Jesus. Supernaturally, he pours. And once he dips the ladle and he pours into the cup, the master of the ceremony says, <laughs> What? Are you kidding me right now? I can't even with this stuff. You saved the best for last. Because when Jesus is around, you never wear out your welcome. And 
that is the equivalent of 900 plus bottles of wine. At the end of the ceremony, 900 plus bottles of wine that Jesus provides. Can I tell you something, everybody? If you will bring your emptiness and you will trust him and do your part, do your part, place it before him, he blesses it and you'll have more than enough. You'll have more than enough. But this is way more than your finances, way more than your time. It all comes down to your heart. Jesus says, where your heart is, actually your money will also be. So it's not even about changing your focus on money today. It's about changing your focus on, God, you are the shepherd. I have all I need. I place it in your hands. I put you first. I don't want to live an out-of-order life. And the very first thing we all must do is invite him to be who he wants to be, your shepherd, your savior. All locations, would you close your eyes? If you're listening today, maybe this is in the archive and three months later, you're listening to this message. I want you to know Jesus has this moment in mind for you. He loves you. He died for you and he didn't do it halfway. His sacrifice ran over to that generation and the next generation and everybody who is afar off. He gives that gift of salvation and that gift of his spirit. And if you're here or at one of our locations and you need to invite Jesus, put things in order because you've been living a broken life. You got to put him first, everybody. If that's you and you want to surrender to Jesus today, just put a hand up in the air. I need to surrender to him today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? All locations. Your, your words would simply be this now. If you've raised a hand or you wanted to raise your hand, but you couldn't, but your heart's in the right place. Father, would you, would you forgive me? Thank you for your son. Jesus, come into my heart. Live in my life. I don't want to build my own house and not build your temple. In fact, the building your temple is not about uh, brick and mortar of Timber Creek. It starts with the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is my life. I want to build this first. Jesus, be in me and flow through me. Fill my cup and may it overflow. I need your grace and your goodness and your peace and your forgiveness and your salvation. And I invite you to be first in my life. And everybody else with your eyes closed and heads bowed, there's an area that you need to put God first now. And you've not been doing it. Can you just surrender that to Jesus? Okay, Jesus, I've tried to do it on my own or I've got my own opinions about giving or this and that. It's it's time for you to stop leaning on your own understanding and trusting him. So if you want to declare that today, maybe it's your time or it's your story. You've been shy to, to tell your story about how God changed you or you've struggled with the whole treasure thing, but you're ready to stay. Okay, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I want to, I want to get things in order. Hey, if that's you, with, with honesty, just put a hand up real quick. I want to pray for you too, all locations. Jesus, I want to put things in your order. You first, everything else after that. You first, everything else after that. Would you say it with me? You first, 
everything else after that. One more time. You first, everything else after that. We ask in the name of Jesus who gave his life first. We give our life to you. Amen.